the trade union movement, but didn't care about your background or what qualifications you had or how old you were. And that gave me a bit of passion for people then. And the people that I was dealing with, I'd done things wrong. Um, I think because of policy and procedure, they thought because they were getting picked on. So you saw the sides of business that you wanted to fix, but being in these big monolith organizations of thousands of people, even getting to national level, you couldn't necessarily do that. This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor, and every week I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Welcome to the Summit podcast with Alan Price today, the CEO of Bright HR. We are really excited to kind of dive a bit deeper into your background, your journey, both professionally and personally. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to it. I guess just kind of going back to the beginning of your journey and what's been your ambition, um, your background, just kind of, yeah, start from the beginning, really. I think the beginning is, from what I remember, would be junior school. So the ambition in junior school was to have the right trainers, the right, the right BMX. And we, we didn't have it. We were on, on free school meals. I can remember um, moving from Croxteth in Liverpool uh, to Norris Green, which isn't much of an improvement. There's like three jobs in Liverpool, uh, drug dealer, footballer, <laughs> or trade union official. Uh, I didn't, didn't think I'd be any good at the other two. And I can remember my mum going to the school and asking for any spare school ties. Didn't have the school tie. The ambition was just not to be to stand out, not to be the one who um, had the wrong tie or the wrong trainers. And it's incremental. So it was like, how, how do you get on the first ladder of being able to not to buy your school tie? I don't know, two pounds or something back then. So, so easy thing back then is paper rounds. Yes. So we got um, we got on paper rounds, but the first paper round the easiest to get on is the in Liverpool was the Maisie Mart. Me and my twin brother would go door knocking like hundreds of houses around our screen. And I can remember one morning waking up at like eight o'clock and missing the newspaper. And me and mum had gone out with like a trolley, like a like, like what you want your granite to have like a square trolley with the handle on top with, with the, the check on the front. And she delivered the papers. So at that point it was like, well, we want to try and get me mum a bunch of flowers. So it was like, can we get another paper round? So we were doing a morning round, a penny round, an evening round, and then a weekend round. And then you sort of progress then, sort of like your ambition changes from having the right school tie or buying your mum a bunch of flowers to you have that peer pressure of who's got the best BMX. And back then it was BMX, everyone had the BMX. So me and my twin brother wanted a BMX. So it was like, what else can you do? So it was like uh, a paper round, a milk round, uh, holding the ladders for the winter cleaner. And it just, it just grew from that. So it was always about sort of acquiring something either to fit in or feel like you had something that everybody else had. And then we got into retail. And the great thing about retail is you get communication skills, transient workforce from a recruitment perspective. So you progress really quickly in that. And in Liverpool, there was a brand called Wade Smith, which would be like flannels now. It was there for two or three years and left as a manager. Now, the great thing about retail is you can be a manager young, but the money's not great. And you work on weekends, you work on Christmas Eve for the sales. Um, so we went to work in an office then because um, you work nine to five, you sort of create a pathway. But the problem with an office environment, a lot of it's on tenure. So Royal Insurance, it was tenure, grey hair, you'd done your insurance exams, your financial planning exams in it. Coming from a retail environment where you'd manage 100 people to an office environment where you had to wait 10 years to manage the person sitting next year wasn't great. So the opportunity in that environment was the trade union. Your first day, you said, there's your form. Like the Royal Mail or British Airways, now it was it was a closed shop. Everyone joined the trade union. So 
straight away it was you could go on trade union courses, learn employment law, you could learn negotiating skills, communication skills, but you can manage people. In our branch alone, you'd have five five thousand members, you'd have twenty shop stewards, ten health and safety reps. So all of a sudden you were getting this progression, you were getting this opportunity. But you're also getting paid. So you'd go on trade union courses. Growing up, you just wanted to make your mum and dad proud and didn't go to university. Did did two years at Liverpool Hope. But again, dropped out because the retail business was offering to pay more money. Come in, don't go to university. You don't you don't need don't need to, you don't need that for your career. And then didn't finish university. Um and was working in the office environment, but still felt I hadn't sort of achieved anything because parents wanted us to go to university. No, nobody in the family had gone to university. Um, we felt like working for an insurance company was a bit like a professional role. The trade union movement, but didn't care about your background or what qualifications you had or how old you were. And I was going to the, C- the TUC conferences, the labour conferences, and sitting next to people who'd sort of done it all, been around and telling you what had gone wrong with businesses, what had gone right in businesses. And was quite sort of passionate and that gave me a bit of passion for people then um and the people that i was dealing with i'd done things wrong um i think because of policy and procedure they thought because they were getting picked on so you saw the sides of business that you wanted to fix but being in these big monolith organizations of thousands of people even getting to national level you couldn't necessarily do that there was another um insurance company down the road that was paying more and it was uh, telesales. It was easy. It was home and motored. The brand was great. The do TV ads and literally the calls would literally go up that, that night. So I, I, moved, I moved to that insurer. But the union wasn't organised. Norwich Union is based in Norwich. And if you've been to Norwich, it's a farm town. It's not like Liverpool. There's not a big militant workforce. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, who's the full-time official? What's the collective bargaining agreements? What's the facilities agreement like? And it was like, we don't really have one. Are they, why aren't you active as a union? Well, we get paid fairly well. I mean, it's sales, so it's quite easy. But you're getting disciplined about X, Y, and Z. You're not happy with this. And it was all call centres in Liverpool, Bishop Briggs in Scotland. It was, it was um, deprived areas. And basically, there was a lot of easy talent. So we weren't treated very well because we were commodity, basically. So we got quite passionate about that. I felt a lot of people were wronged by it. So really was passionate about it, got active. Rather than being out of a night, I was taking calls from people who were about to lose the job, had issues with, with family members being sick and they were getting disciplined about sickness, disability. And there were people like this in work saying, I've took some time off from my mum or my sister or my cousin. And obviously the trade union for the union reps would give you employment law training, labour training. And I got up to the national executive for the insurance business. And one day someone in the union said to me, the government are looking for tribunal lay members. So the Employment Tribunal Service, um, would you like to go go for an interview? A tribunal is a judge, uh, two people on either side. One's got an employment law background, HR, and one's trade union background. We we think you'd be good for, for the trade union job. So well, what is it? Well, it's, it's a government appointment, judicial appointment. Go for an interview. And then if you get it, you do 12 days a year, and you're basically an independent member of a three-party tribunal. So I thought... That sounds good. Mum and dad will be proud of that. Mm-hmm. So went for the interview in Leeds. Shiny suit, skinhead. A lot thinner. A <laughs> lot broader accent. And they asked a lot of company-based questions. And then three months later, got a letter through the post from a government department saying, you've got a two-year appointment as an employment tribunal lay member. And that was like 23 years ago now. Mm. 22 years ago. And that's what got me into the Peninsula Group. So I Googled who owned it. And it was Peter Doan and Fred and Fred Doan and everything. And I thought... Well, they're Salford-born. They've come from nothing. So 
I went, I went in, and back then, there was a couple of hundred staff. We were in the UK and Ireland only. But there was energy and buzz about it. Um, you met every manager, but like how, how you run your businesses. There was no layers. If you want to be to the owner, so other than the owner, I met everyone on my first day. FD, um, consultancy director, heads of every service, and I was a trainee HR advisor. I was no one special in the business, and that was that was the induction plan, and absolutely loved it. Um, and people say to me, "How you got to sort of like number two out of three and a half thousand staff and running the what we call." The Netflix of the group, like the, we disrupt our own business model in terms of bright HR, disrupting the peninsula model, the consultancy model. And I just say, it's like a hobby. I, I love what I do. And I was literally first one in. They think it was because I wanted to get on. It was free parking in, in Manchester. I sat with everyone on my lunch um, who was older, partly because they had life experience that I'd not earned. And being in the union movement, I didn't want to be in another conference, waiting 40 years to learn what they'd learned. So everyone that had lived a life, I wanted to, to, to learn it much quicker. But I couldn't afford to go into Manchester. They'd go to somewhere called Essie's, which was opposite San Carlo for their lunch. I know, six or seven quid for a sandwich, but like, I couldn't afford, I literally couldn't afford it. So my mum would make me a pack lunch at like 23 or something. But eating a sandwich and you're listening on a call and they're saying, well, when I ran a factory or I was the HR director of a factory, we had these types of issues and this is how I dealt with them. And on my next call, that story would be my story. I wouldn't tell the customer or the client that's what had happened, but I said, I'd heard about this case or I was involved in this case and there was a little bit of artistic license but when you're 23 advising a H director of a blue chip or an owner of a business who's got 50 staff and you're telling them how to manage their people and remember in small business a lot of these people got into business because they want to be passionate they're not good at finance they're not good at HR you're probably the first person to say no to them they've got two or three cars they've got a holiday or a holiday home they've done quite well for themselves and you're saying to them um, you can't do that. Until they get external investment, no one's told them no. Yeah. And you're telling them from a people point of view, that's not the right way to do it. I can do what I want. Forget employment law. And a lot of the Peninsula service was about, we'll come on board as your HR advisor, we'll do it for a fixed monthly fee, and we'll not only give you the advice, we'll ensure it. And that's quite a unique proposition. But you're a small business owner, all you're hearing is I can do what I want. Yeah. And they're going to ensure that risk. And you're on the end of the phone saying, it's not either legally you can't do that, from an insurance point of view, there's a risk. But more importantly, you're going to lose the individual. And you spent all this money investing in them, training them. And you, like, because I come from a union background, I was less about the law, about, about the person. And yeah. Why did you hire them? What was good about them? What's changed? Is it you or is it them? And how is it to replace them? And, and by the end of the call, they're like, you're different. Yeah. Basically, you're from Liverpool. So you're <laughs> northern, you're a bit more amenable. I didn't know all the big words. I'd be quite practical. And I'd be saying to them, what do you want to do? I want to sack them. Well, they're pregnant. You want to sack them because they're pregnant. You love them before they were pregnant and that's unlawful. Yeah. That is not the reason to do it. But if you're saying that that's the issue and it's, and it's unrelated, well, I'm telling you it's unrelated to the pregnancy. They're late all the time. From what you've told me, they're late because um, they've got morning sickness. That relates to the pregnancy. They were late before then. Okay, let, let, let's look at it your way. Let's go into a meeting. If they don't bring up the pregnancy, if, if it's completely unrelated as you now claim it to be, uh, and the calls weren't recorded back then, uh, 20 years ago, then we'll, we'll, we'll have that conversation. And if they agree with you, we'll, we'll look at a course of action. But it's not going to be a dismissal. It's going to be a warning if it's unrelated to the pregnancy. They get in the meeting. They say it's pregnancy. They get them back. You were right. It's wrong, isn't it? And they reflect on it. Yeah. I can imagine the times 95% of it is men. Yeah. Back in 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, ego comes into it a lot. Yeah. 
And I just want to understand what is it they want. Well, I just want them to be on time. Well, why? Because there's a job for them to do. And if you explain that, and if you looked at different hours, and if you could you take someone out, would, would they want reduced hours? Or um, what are you going to do when they're on maternity leave? Well, I haven't thought about that. Well, why not bring in someone a bit sooner? And it was less about the legal advice. It was more about the practical advice. Mm. Like you say, business has changed a lot in those 20 years mm. as well. And, you know, you've managed that transition. And a lot of it has come from people like yourself giving them information on thinking about their actual business, you mm. know. And like you say, people have never said, been said no to, but also they've never been challenged on their business. Yeah. They've never been asked questions about how they run the company. Because small business, you 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 think you, think you are the law. Yeah. Mm. And we can buy our way out of it. The brand can take it. And I'd be saying to them, I'm the one in, I won't be allowed to sit on your case, but I'm the one in six months sitting on a case exactly the same as yours. You see the brand names in there, you see the small businesses. And what they get wrong is either the process and documents are wrong. So the the agreement you make when you start, what's in the offer letter when you're all euphoric and you're in the honeymoon period, you don't read it and they don't read it. Well, really, it doesn't reflect what you want. It reflects what your lawyers told you to write, your HR manager told you to write. It's not a living and breathing document. It's not got any values in there. And what are your values? What's important to you? When you try and get that out of them, they'd be saying, do you know what? That makes real sense. And you take them step by, you deal with each problem as a step. And you say, well, let's just deal with this problem of lightness first. And then we'll look at dismissal. And then they start writing letters to, to, to the owner. I, I helped a bit with that. <laughs> they say, well, how can I thank you? I'm going, well, there's this guy called Peter Doe. I don't really know him that well. But if you want to write him a letter, and, and even Peninsula, a couple of hundred staff, a couple of thousand clients, there was, there was still a sort of process to go through. And I applied for every manager's job and didn't get it wasn't qualified, so I went to Salford University and got, and got and got qualified at Salford. And I spend a lot of time at Salford, um, I'm an honorary fellow, um, because, again, it's one of those universities that will take on accreditation of prior learning. It's not as interesting your A-levels or what you've done before. Mm. And a lot of its um, students are either not from the UK or from, from Salford. So they've got a bit more practical approach, so I, I, I like spending a lot of time there. But, again, Peninsula gave me an afternoon off to go and get qualified in HR, and then a job came up in the Dublin office and it was literally either go there and close it or turn it around. I was only still in my 20s and my job title was office manager. Went for an interview and it was literally the owner of our business, Peter Doan, um, the old FD who retired and the consultancy director. What are you going to do? I said, I'm just going to listen. And he said, what do you mean you're going to listen? I said, well, you've got a great business over here. Just find out what's different. And again, it was look more than anything, no hobbies. I literally went over there. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, she waited at Liverpool Airport, but couldn't get a job at Dublin. Mm. So for six months, I had nothing to do but go into work. Get up at, um, early in the morning, go in. Um, I had no friends, didn't, wasn't into Xbox, wasn't into sports. So I just got to in a different business, different market, different people. And because she wasn't there for six months, I, I, I just learned every part of the job I didn't know. And then when she did come... Bet she's quiet. Yeah. And, she, and then it was even more quiet. She worked five till three. So she'd be gone before I'd go to work. When I got home, she'd be in bed. It was literally quiet, but there was opportunity in the UK, but it never come as quickly as, as I wanted it. And in that time, my identical twin brother had gone and set up some small businesses. He left the insurance company. So we had typical Liverpool businesses, uh, sunbed shop, barbers, um, valet and all cash businesses, um, and a Lacoste tracksuit shop. So you can imagine Liverpool 20 years ago, clearly, uh, yeah, you've got sunbeds and a, a shell tracksuit. You could literally, they went next door to each other. But... I always took the view, I still want to get paid at the end of the month, which my twin brother said, I'll be in them full time. And we knew, we knew in those businesses, it was about people. Mm. Your staff, if you didn't look after your staff, they'd either come in late or not be productive, they didn't share your values, or the values give you the behaviours you deserve. In cash businesses, they'd steal from you. 
they were young. And our view was share the profits. So I was in business. We had some businesses. We taught them profit and loss. All they saw going into the tell every day, it was £500 for sunbeds, £1,000 for haircuts. But you had council tax, you had business rates, you you had your rent, your insurance. And we said to them, whatever's left at the end of of the day, we'll share equally with you. Now you pay all your bills, but it was better for us to do that in cash businesses than to say you're on an hourly rate. And when we worked it out at the time, it wasn't much difference. We weren't doing it purely out of just trying to be socially fair to them, but it was the only way to motivate them. But they would then invest in the business because they had they had a stake in it. So they'd work longer hours and stay in a bar. Was Half an hour, they put the shutters down. We're closing now. They're not. They want to be out. They're done. But if they're going to get a quarter of whatever's left at the end of the day, minus the overhead, they'll stay up an extra hour and then you get a repeat custom because the, the customer feels personable to you. So my twin brother was doing that. And I was saying to him, you need to come and work in this business. It's like true entrepreneurial meritocracy. I'm running a company in Ireland on my own. Mm. And the opportunity is amazing. I've learned how to run a business. Mm. And Peter's still involved. He comes in every day. So he was ringing me every day, all of his life stories about when he was a lawyer's of London name, when he's invested in gold. And everything idea he ever had or every viewpoint was based on something he'd done. Mm. But in a lot of these big businesses now, no one's got the time or has got the bandwidth to explain to every employee why we're making those decisions, why we're running the businesses the way we run them. And I was really lucky. He told me all of that. Some people look at oh, the way we run our businesses and it's very like, we're in the detail and they're like, is it, it's a lack of trust. And it's like, there's blind faith in a lot of businesses. And then when it goes wrong, the micromanager and we, we do a lot of um, sort of sanity checks and dip checks, but it's because you want to take people on a journey. Not mm. everyone understands that. And he'd been explaining why he'd done a lot of the things he'd done. But even when I came back, you talk about knocking your career I wanted to come back. Um, I've done like a three-year secondment. He said, well, there's no job for you. But if you want to come back, there's a couple of problems in some of the departments. So I said, I'm not coming back unless I've got like a board position. So I ran me up six months later and said, um, there's a job as head of employment advice. And I was the corporate advice manager when I left, but not the head of it. So don't you want to make me director of advice? No. You're running the small part of the group. Ireland's tiny. And I'm like, but I've learned a lot. He said, no, no, this is the job. If you want it, it's yours. You can come back tomorrow. We need someone to run it. And I thought, you know what? Job title and salary shouldn't be the most important thing. Mm. It's something I know really well. So we'll come back to head up the advice service. But with all this commercial experience of like how to be to customers and customers king and who pays you, we bought a competitor that 20 years ago was much bigger than us. It was the brand name of HR. It was called Corona Group. So I went to live in Hinkley for three years, ran that. Um, and then I got, and then I came back and then led Bright HR, which is like the SaaS, mm. the Netflix. Get in trouble for saying Blockbuster and Netflix. I try and say BMW and Tesla now, especially with the Netflix <laughs> share price. But if you think of like Blockbuster in its heyday, you, you're queuing for your nachos, your mm. DVD. It was an experience going to Blockbuster. The way yeah. the retailers are trying to be an experience now. It's not about online shopping and fast fashion. It's, you, you go into a store to be looked after. You get a cup of tea. It's an experience like your Selfridges approach. And Peninsula is that consultative, high-end, really tailored product in competition with the law firms. Bright HR is that disruptor of you don't want to ever lose your business share by being disrupted by someone you never saw coming and bright hr is exactly that it's Mm. disrupting our own business model but also offering an alternative option so you have taken a number of sacrifices in terms of you know emotionally moving reduced salaries to get into opportunities driven by probably your upbringing in Liverpool and you know I've heard a number of times talk about parents parents and trying to make them proud when what's the aim 
It's the summit. It's Are you there? The summit's changed. It's like a top of base camp now and, and waypoints because when I came to Peninsula Group, it was buying one dead a car. And it's always about like having that. I say to the staff when they start, it, you can't say I want a house, I want a holiday. Mine was I don't want to see my mum dead on a bus. And, and mum's arthritis, she couldn't travel easily, her mobility's poor. So it was to buy them a G Reg 1990 Blue Fiesta. And on my desk in work was a picture of that Blue Fiesta. But that, that summit changes. And then it was to buy my sister a house. She's a single parent. It was to buy her a house and then um, buy mum and dad another car and then a new car. And yeah. they've had a few now. So just looking um, after your whole family. Yeah. Really. But like, even that, like, you buy them a Kia, you want to get them a Golf, you want to get them something that's electric, you, you want to buy them a house with a mortgage, you want to pay the mortgage off, um, you want them to experience what you've got in terms of travel, you want them to travel the way you travel in terms of like first class or business class, you want them to see that, you want them to see the opportunities and the experience that you have. And then when you've got children, it, it changes again. And you think, well, I don't want them in private school because I wasn't in private school. Mm. And I had friends that got scholarships and Rightly or wrongly, I didn't see them achieve anything. So I think the summit now is um, Bright's not a brand name, and I want it to be. Bright's not in America or Europe. It's, it's, it's in the Commonwealth. It tends to follow Peninsula Group. So Peninsula will go in, put boots on the ground, sell a consultancy, fixed price service, doing very bespoke services, and then we'll follow with a digital solution with the software to support them and they resell that. And then we go to market to compete with them on, on a lower price point and a, a digital first offering. But I'd love Bright to go to a market where Peninsula Group wasn't. But to be a brand name, because every small business has got staff problems. And you look at Sage and QuickBooks and Intuit and, and they've cornered the software piece. Everyone knows of them. If you're in business, you have one of those packages. But no small business gets up in the morning and thinks, I need HR software. It's the last thing you think about. Yeah, mm. I need advice. I need people management. Money comes first. Yeah. And that's where we're trying to pivot a bit with the Bright product. So we provide HR software, advice, insurance, health and safety, which I worry more about than people management. <laughs> but we now do something called the Marketplace Bright Exchange, promoting 2,000 businesses to other businesses, which is great for them because their first worry is um, getting leads, so we give them a platform to do that. But perks, great resignation, um, the cost of living crisis. Yeah. We're able to adapt. We've got 80 developers in Manchester, which is a rarity these days. You come in the office, which again is another rarity. Mm-hmm. That's just not me. That's a great CTO who understands them. Or having a platform where you can start to become a utility. So it's trying to be that platform of people first. But if you need sales support, we can help you with that. Yeah. We partner with a couple of the banks now as well. So I think the summit is becoming that one-stop shop for small businesses where they get up in the morning and think, I need Bright HR. So you want to create your own here in that way? Yeah. I like it. I like it. I guess like going back to kind of when you were told, you know, almost questioned about why you should be going for a certain job or like did, did that drive you to like prove people wrong and you were surrounded by people that were really highly qualified and almost having to compare yourself did that kind of really drive you forward to be like no look I'm actually I've got a different perspective on you know more people rather than the business side and you know when you reflect on it yeah like even within the HR profession the certain grades of like professional membership and you don't have the right letters after your name. And then yeah. a couple of years ago, I got, I got on the board of that professional body. So it like, and I think it was, it was less about having the qualification and saying I was on the board of a charity. It was about for those people in that profession in HR that were saying, well, you're not FCIPD yeah. qualified, you, you're a HR director. And then to be on the board of their professional body, which they, they all want to be on, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to them. I, I did it more about 
maybe putting two fingers up to them to say, yeah. well, I've, I've been on that board and yeah. it was great. It was a charity and you gave something back, but it's a very profitable charity. It's not a charity that needs support, yeah. but for them, it's something they attain to be. And all my life, it's been about, you know, the right qualifications, the right accent. Even coming into Manchester, talk really fast at speech therapy till we were 13. Being twins, yeah. got your own language. Your own language yeah, yeah. So um, getting that constant no, it does, it, it, it spares you on. Yeah. I think there's literally a lot of people, a lot, lot of thing, things people can learn from you personally and your kind of story and the kind of stuff you've had. So um, I've really enjoyed listening to it today because I think there's so many strands which people can really listen mm. to. And I think as well, probably more relevant now than ever in terms of what we're seeing in the employment world and the kind mm. of business world as well. So uh, thank you so much thank you if you get the opportunity to like share and subscribe check out the Summit by First Adventures podcast mm-hmm.